Two weeks ago, we discussed First Peter chapter one, twenty-two and twenty-three. Now that you've been purif- or now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. This morning, we want to look at several parallel passages. Not an exhortation necessarily to love, but to think about loving with wisdom. How do we love others with wisdom? Depending on the circumstance, sometimes we may love in ways that others may not understand. Love can be distorted. Must I give to every need to love? Am I unloving if I don't give? How do I know how and when to give? And as we think about love and loving well, loving wisely, I want you to think about your own life, the people you relate to in daily life whether it be family, co-workers, believers. I also want you to think about social media and how you use social media and how others may use social media, whether it's loving or not. But I also want you to think about how we speak about our country, politics, social issues like immigration and marriage, and how to speak about those issues with love. When Peter says, love one another deeply, that's in light of what Christ has done. And love is mentioned frequently in Scripture. And we want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for a few moments. And then consider some, what I would call very practical pointers as we think about loving others well, loving others wisely. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 kind of go together as a unit. He's dealing with spiritual gifts. And apparently the Corinthians were having some difficulty when it came to spiritual gifts. They were exalting some gifts and putting down other gifts. And they wanted the best gifts. And Paul says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And he goes into chapter 13 discussing Love. In verse 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I'm the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Just a couple brief comments on those verses. There can be much good activity. There can be much giving without love. Talks about speaking, and he says in the tongues of men and of angels, a prolific speaker without love, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The gift of prophecy, knowledge, but have not love. We're giving to the poor, 
but have not love. It's not merely giving. We're dealing with a heart. Because in verses 4 and 5, Paul describes love as keeping a focus on the heart. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. As we think about love and we give to people, keep a focus on the heart, the attitude, the thinking, and the motivation. What's going on inside of the heart? Do you ever give to someone? You're seeking to love someone, and you sense inside that you're becoming very impatient with them because they may not be responding You may be giving, but you may not be moving towards love, but may be away from love. He says love is patient. He says love is kind. What is best for the other person? Walking in their shoes. It does not envy. You ever notice in your heart that sometimes there's envy towards someone that motivates you to give? Might not even be at the person. It might be at someone else. Well, I'm envious of what they can give, so I'm going to give in a different way. He says, love doesn't envy. It does not boast. I'm not going to say too much about boasting. It's not proud, but boasting and proud, you know, look at what I did. We just love to have the horn tooted when we give. That was true in Jesus' day. It's true today. Look what I did. We promote people that give. And I'm not saying in what way, but he says love doesn't boast. It's not proud. And then he says it's not rude. Do you ever find yourself giving to someone, whether your family or another believer, and you find yourself becoming rude? You're just fed up, but you're still giving. He says love is not rude. He said it's not easily angered. As a parent, did you ever say, I'm loving my child by disciplining, but you're pretty angry? Or you're giving to another believer and you're angry at them because of the way they are or not responding. He says, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Let's see, this is the fifth time this week that Ruth Ann treated me in such and such a way. Well, I'll forgive her again. Well, yeah, this is the fifth time the person blew it. But yet you're giving to them, but you're keeping a record of their wrongs. Paul says, love doesn't do that. But he goes on in verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love does confront evil. Love does not delight in evil. Well, that's just the way believer so-and-so is. We'll let him go. I won't talk to him about it. Love 
does not delight in evil. It doesn't delight in overlooking what someone does wrong. But rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the person who is living well. Seeking to obey God. Love always protects. I don't know if your heart has ever been grieved, but I've had people say things about other believers. That just tears me apart. Critical things. Because I want to protect those people they're talking about. Love protects. Love always trusts. That is, trusting a person where they are. I don't think any of you as a parent excuse me, trusted your child with a car when they were 10 years old and said, you can drive wherever you want because they're not at that level of trust. Where people are, we trust them. I hope no one ever entrusts me with scads of money because I don't have a lot of experience at handling a lot of money. Give me some, I'll handle it well, but don't give me millions because I might not do so well. Maybe slow to trust. But he also says love always hopes. God can work. The person blew it time and again and again, but I'll continue to care for them in proper ways because I hope. I have an expectation that God can work. It always perseveres, just doesn't give up, continues to love appropriately, never fails Sticks with the person. And then he goes on to talk about whether there's prophecies, they will cease, tongues will cease, and so on. But the greatest of faith, hope, and love, he says, love is the greatest. Just that brief description of love, a question. Is your online communication loving? I hear over and over again what people will say online that they wouldn't do in person. Loving. Or your words and attitudes and actions concerning our country, our politics, our politicians, and and when you discuss social issues, are your words loving? Peter says, love one another. Paul says in the context, love. Elsewhere, Scripture talks about loving one another. Love protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres, never fails. When we think about loving, seeking to apply it, there's various Scriptures that talk about love. Galatians 5. Ephesians 4 talks about loving. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And then 1 John 3. All those passages talk about love. As we think about loving wisely, love involves relationships. Face-to-face image of God. I'm not knocking phones, I'm not knocking texting, 
not talking Facebook, but love involves relationships face-to-face. There are other means, and you may do them, but they are not at the same level as face-to-face. You can say to someone in a text, I'm praying for you in light of your trial. It's a different thing when you're with them and can put your arms around them and pray for them and hug them. I'm not knocking social media. That's not my point. I'm just saying there's a difference. And we need to keep that in mind. I don't know how many times you've said to someone, look at me in the eyes, because we communicate with the eyes. You can't do that in some other means. And again, I'm not knocking the other means. Just recognize that it involves face-to-face. Study people to understand them. Their bend. Their personality, how they think. We give according to the person. If I said to Ruth Ann, I'm going to buy you a nice birthday present, I'm going to buy you 50 books. If I said I'm going to buy you a new baby grand piano, boy, that would be something, because that's her bend. She can sit and play for hours because she loves music. If I were to say to Rick Garnett, I love you and I'm going to buy you a computer, He'd probably wrinkle up his nose and say, forget it. But if I said, I'm going to buy you a new gun, then he might be much more interested. Now, what is the bend? What is the personality? Understand who they are. If I said, Alan, I'm going to pay your way and I'm going to even go with you. We're going to go to an orchestra. I think I might get the response from Alan. Oh, can't we do something else? But I said, okay, instead we'll I'll go walk with you in the woods for a couple hours. Understanding people where they are. Be slow to say, if there's something I can do, let me know. Figure it out and do it. So a mother is coming home from the hospital after having a C-section. And you stick your head in the door and say, if there's anything I can do, let me know. No, don't stick your head in the door and say that. Stay there and clean the house and prepare some meals. No, do something practical. And sometimes you can say if there's something I can do. But overall, figure out how to love and respond. Beware of giving money. Material items as a substitute for time with them. Encouragement or rebuke, whatever it may be. In the context of children, I've heard over and over again over the years, my parents gave me a lot of stuff, but I didn't want their stuff, I wanted them. And that applies to believers. Many times believers don't necessarily want our stuff. They want us. And you will have to figure that out, how that looks. In giving in any way, consider the lifestyle, the one you're giving to. Is this a need? Or is it the same need that they had a month ago? 
or six months ago? If it is, maybe their need is not for an item. Are they content? So we give and we give and we give and the person continues to be discontent. Maybe we stop giving and address their discontent in their heart. Are they thankful? Well, is this all I get? Please give that back to me. We need to talk about being thankful. And I'm not talking just within the home. I'm talking among believers also. Do they seek God for basic needs? Matthew 6 talks about asking God for basic needs. Nor the person you're giving to, are they asking, are they seeking God? Are they demanding? Well, you've got to give me this in this way. Beware. Are they open to counsel? Are they humble? Are they broken? And are they being transformed? You say, why do you bring those items up? Because we study people, we seek to understand people, and love and respond in the appropriate way. Within the last few months, I had a guy <clears throat> contacted me and said, can you give me some gas money to get home? I didn't. I really didn't want the guy to get home. I wanted the guy to be where he was. And to sit and soak and ponder and think. To come to a brokenness. Now I understood the situation. That's why I, re- I responded the way I said I did. Understand who we're loving and how to love. Maybe you need to talk about, to them about their demanding spirit. Maybe you need to talk to them about they're not open to counsel. It's just all of, life is all about them. They're not even thankful for what has been given to them in the past. And again, that ties in with loving with wisdom. And I'll come at more in just a few moments. But wisdom in giving, walk in the spirit. I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to be very, very firm and dogmatic in it. The Spirit of God is alive and well today, now, and in days to come. And Paul says, walk in the Spirit. He talks about the Spirit living within us. He's real. He's at work. When I say walk in the Spirit, and there's an opportunity to love, Spirit of God, guide me in what to do. He will walk in the Spirit. He's alive. He's well. How many times has the Spirit said to you or to me, give so-and-so a call. Send a note to so-and-so. Give this person some money. And you acted, and later on they say, thank you. It came just when I needed it. So that's the Spirit of God at work. Or you see this need in someone's life and you say, God, how should I give? And the Spirit works. And tied in with that, seek wisdom from God. 
Ask God. Proverbs is full of wisdom. James 1 says, you know, if you need wisdom, ask, and that's in the context of trials, just ask. How many times have I said, Lord, how do I love this wife that you have given to me? She's so different than I am. I tick so much different than she does. She can sit and play piano for hours if she chose to. I can sit and read books for hours. How do I love her? Wisdom. How do I love that young person who is 20 or 30 years younger than you or me? And they're all the time punching punching their pad here and you say, what's wrong with them? Maybe there's nothing wrong with them. Maybe there's something wrong with you. Or maybe there's nothing wrong with either one of you. But wisdom, how do I love that person? Ask. God gives. Nothing wrong with punching a pad, is there? But ask. God gives wisdom. But what is the core need? Will my giving take away that responsibility? You continue to give to someone who has the ability to work and is unwilling to work and will not work. Their real need is not more money. Their real real need is to be confronted. You give to someone to buy food. But the reason they don't have money for food is because they're using it on drugs. It's not loving to give them money for food. You address something else. You're taking away their responsibility. What is their lifestyle? Years ago, I remember calling my father and saying, Dad, we're down here in Tennessee and my wife and I are broke. The cheap opal I got is broken down. And I'm asking you, for $3,000 to buy a new VW Bug. That's what you can get it for back in that day. I said, Dad, the reason I need a Bug is because I got a paper route. It's good in gas mileage. We're flat broke. I don't have any money to contribute. Dad thought a little while and finally said, Yeah, Dan, I'll, I'll loan you the money. It's a loan. You won't have to pay interest, but you have to pay me back. You know what he was thinking about? Has Dan been responsible the two years that he's been married and going to school? Why is he asking me for money? Has he been blowing it? Has he been using it in the incorrect way? And his conclusion was that Ruth Ann and I have had a lifestyle of being frugal. He's willing to give it. Did pay him back. But think about a person's lifestyle. Where are they at? Is it a need or a want? Give a practical example. A guy, years ago, given me a call, and he had been helped some along the way, and he said, Pastor, and this is no one from our church, by the way, someone in the community, he said, I need some money. I said, what do you need money for? He said, I need some money to pay for my cable, and for my phone. 
And I said, I have a couple questions before I'm going to give you any money or even ask anyone to give you some money. I said, do you have enough money to buy food? Yes. Do you have enough money to pay your rent? Yes. you have enough money to take care of your other basic needs? Yes. But you don't have enough money for your phone and your cable. And he had no cell phone. I said, I'm sorry. That's not a need. You have enough money to take care of your basic needs. You want me to give you money for something I don't even have money for. And I knew a little bit about the guy. It was not good for him. If I'd given or asked someone else to give to that need, that wouldn't have been profitable. It would actually hurt the individual. Is this a repeated, a repeat need of a so-called need? You know where I'm coming from with that, I think. You know, is this something that's ongoing? If it is, maybe you need to talk to them about the fact that this is ongoing. Will my giving enable them to continue a sinful or unwise lifestyle? I mentioned the fellow before that he wanted some money to get home. By the way, that wasn't anyone from our church, so you don't need to try to figure that out. I would have enabled him to continue a sinful lifestyle. Should I rebuke or confront their sin? It depends on the situation. Sometimes they need that. You know, what you're doing here is wrong. It's not wise. Now, please understand, there's many things in life that we just respond to, we give without even thinking. So a neighbor calls and says, my son fell and I got to run him to the hospital. Will you come over and take care of the other kids? You're not going to think twice about that. You're not going to evaluate it. You will do it. Someone calls you and says, uh, I'm going through a great problem. It's really, really difficult. Can you pray with me? And say, oh, just wait, I got five minutes, I got to figure this out. No, you just act and you give. You pray, you love them. The situations that I'm talking here are tied in with where you may have questions. Is it wise? Is it unwise? Remember, until a person has a need they cannot fulfill and no one helps them, they will generally not be broken. That's repentant. I'm talking where there's questionable cases. Until they come to the point of saying, I have no place to turn but to God. And they're probably broken. And you can give to them in a variety of ways. And they'll be at a different point in life. We're to love. But we're to love wisely. We read in Mark chapter 10, the rich man who came to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus do? We'll follow the commands on Jesus listed, if I recall correctly, six of them. And he said, I've kept them all. And then go sell what you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And the guy didn't want to do that. And Jesus ran after him and said, whoa, 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 wait, wait. He let him go. He loved him. 
He let him go. Because the man was not broken. Examples of core needs. A father complains about his children and they're not responding. And the person who is talking to the father says, you keep talking to me about this, but do you realize that you have an anger problem? You're responding to your children in anger. And the very thing you don't want in them, you're building with your anger. You don't need me to sit here and bemoan how terrible your children are. I love you enough to tell you that you're using your anger incorrectly repeatedly with your children. See, that's a core need. David, when he was sinning with Bathsheba, Nathan hit his core need. He didn't need another general that would go along and kill people. He needed a prophet to come alongside and say, David, you stole another man's wife. You are the man. That was loving in that situation. Paul's letter to the Galatians, what does he do? He says, you're parting from the gospel. That's your need. Don't bemoan what's happening in life. Here's your need. A person often wanting someone to talk to about a relational friction. And you have heard this for the tenth time. And finally, you graciously and gently say, I want you to understand that you're a very proud person. That's why you have so many relational issues. That's loving them. Not listening to them bemoan how terrible other people are. Loving them. Speaking the truth to them. Again, there's many needs in daily life we just respond to. We don't even think twice about them. Some of what I've been saying this morning is those where we say is this. A good way to respond. How do I respond in a way that is going to be profitable and helpful? As we think about love, we're to love. Peter tells us to love. Paul tells us to love. John tells us to love. But with wisdom. Jesus sent Christ because our core need was our sin being dealt with. So what did he do? He sent a Savior, Christ. And as we partake of communion this morning, it reminds us of God's love for us in Christ. Christ on the cross bore our sin so that we can have a relationship with him. Forgiveness is possible through Christ. It reminds us of the Christ sacrifice. In 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 
But whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we think about the Lord's Supper, we're also thinking about relationships. And that's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians to examine ourselves. What are our relationships to other believers? Are they in line? He says in verse 26, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Communion reminds us that one day in the future, Christ is going to return. Until then, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're reminded to be faithful. Ask the men to come forward, please. Thank <clears throat> you.